Hello, you're listening to the Raphael Letters. Today we're going uh, to be doing something a little bit different again. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing a guest speaker named Bill Donahue, and we'll be discussing the latest Raphael Letter on beauty and timelessness. I've been super excited for this one. Say hi to everyone, Bill. Greetings. Good to be with you all. Thanks for the invitation, Gabriel. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I've been really looking forward to this because, uh, you know, um, yeah. Well, actually, first, why don't you tell tell everyone a little bit about you, Bill? About, a little bit. Sure, about sure. You. And probably, and probably how we first met over uh, theology of the body. But yeah, I am a senior lecturer for the Theology of the Body Institute. So I've been an educator for, I guess you could say, over two decades now. And working for the Institute for the last 16 years. So I get to unfold, unpack St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body internationally and nationally to the whole church from bishops down to confirmation students and everybody in between. And it's been the greatest gift of my life to be able to unpack this teaching and grow in it myself, you know, which uh, has so much beauty to it, which I think is why you invited me on this uh this episode and we encountered each other a few years ago when you were doing some training and I brought theology of the body to your, uh, to the missionaries there. Yeah. Yeah. It was at the, the culture project and it was, that was the culture project always has amazing uh, formation programs. And so one of the first ones was with you uh, and you, you, you gave a whole, the, yeah, you led the whole week in like forming us in the theology of the body and such. And, that was that was so cool. I think what I just remembered about it though was like I I don't it's it's funny that you know we we talked recently about you know mm-hmm. beauty and 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 your unique calling to to speak about beauty and and I and I noticed that about you in in the talks which is kind of cool uh, that that I was like it looks like mm-hmm. this guy just has like a an appeal to that you know and and that's something that's also important uh, to me in my life as well yeah and no, i'm glad for you to say, for for you to say that gabriel and I, I feel like um in our vocation and our mission as we kind of try to wrestle through with our lord he sort of makes a particular charism shine or come out and uh it's kind of like self-discovery so i i've always been drawn since i was a, a kid drawn to the transcendental of beauty and to wonder and uh, the Lord's got me in a place right now where in my teaching, my pedagogy, it really is that. It's just kind of opening up the sense of wonder, pointing to the transcendental of beauty. So uh, I'm glad that came off. That means mission accomplished. I'm trying to be faithful to the Holy Spirit. So Yeah, that's, yeah. <clears throat> so so I was grateful for that. And um, yeah, I mean, so usually I, you know, so I would say, yeah, you know, for our audience, you know, what makes you particularly gifted to talk about this uh, this topic? I, you know, I would think it's, it's your mm. unique soul in it, right? And and being called to that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Uh, you know, when you talk about the realm of faith and mission and vocation and being qualified, um, professional words like that for me sort of don't. It's, it's funny, it's, and you know this. It's like tongue in cheek. Yeah, it's almost like uh, I. I don't even know, you know, uh, you call, I answer, um, and you like the Lord's spirit builds on our nature. And so he, you know, if, if each of us is made in the image of God, then we're all reflecting a facet of him. So mm-hmm. if I'm just faithful to God, he's going to help me discover my true self. And that's, what's going to come out. I yeah. think, you know, even with the theology of the body, I work with, um, Christopher West, of course, we're both lecturers at the Institute and there are many other speakers out there and teachers all embodying 
the beauty of the Catholic faith, but it shines through if, if we're authentic, right? It shines through in a unique way. Yeah. So, I mean, I would just say, I, I feel like I've, uh, I've been destroyed by the beauty of God my whole life. I've just been haunted by his beauty mm. and woe to me if I don't preach the gospel through that sort of incarnational experience of the beautiful. I, yeah. I just total grace and privilege. I, I just praise God for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, do you want, is there a particular, I mean, I'm sure you have many different experiences of, of, of beauty and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but is there, is there one particularly that kind of strikes out to you from your life where that you'd feel comfortable sharing with, with the list, those listening? Or, wow, great question. Great question. I, although I feel like we could go on for six hours because there's, and you, and anybody listening could say like, wow, yeah, I've had moments like that. But when you asked the question, Gabriel, the first, the first thing I went to, which is interesting, I was probably 17 or 18 years old. I'm lying on a boat docks up in northern Maine under a starry sky. And uh, I had, this is back in the late 80s, so I had like a big ghetto blaster, you know, portable radio with cassette tapes. And we were, had two weeks up in Maine, and I put, I loved classical music at the time. I had box cello suites, and I put the cassette in and slapped it in there. And a bunch of us guys and girls who were there for those two weeks, we were just kind of chilling on the dock. Moosehead Lake before us, like glass, the stars, you can see the whole Milky Way. And to hear the cello, which is like a melancholic sort of sound, yeah, um, echoing off the water. And then the loons would cry out. These are moments where you just feel like, oh, I'm pierced by some, some longing. Yeah. Words to it, but it's sucking me out of myself. Yeah. And I feel like I'm small before this grand mystery. But I'm still in it. Like, I just felt almost like weeping. This is, what is this? What is this stirring in my soul? You know, so that's just one little glimmer there. It, it happens all the time. Yeah. It happens. yeah. God, God is speaking all the time through so many little things. Uh, we just have to be, like, wide open. That's what I'm trying to do is, is stay open like a satellite dish to, like, whatever he's hit me with. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, I certainly appreciate that because, you know, that – you're certainly open to, to to speaking on here and such, and, oh, yeah. and yeah, those those experiences is so so. I I never really realized like I had experiences like that before uh, before reading this one book, which I'm, I mentioned to you before. It was uh, Severe Mercy. Right? And, yeah, and, and yeah. The, the very beginning of it, he talks about the, an experience of beauty, looking against like these these branches yeah. against the, the night sky, right? Yeah, the barren and, branches against the night sky. Yeah, and the, the bare branches, yeah. I just I just remember thinking in that moment, like, oh, my gosh, like, someone else gets this. Like, I <laughs> I felt like I was yeah. alone. I didn't, you know? Yeah. And, and maybe maybe some people, are, you know, aren't quite, you know, because uh, I think some people are more, maybe more, um, I don't know, disposed to beauty maybe um i think we can certainly become more acclimated to it we can have a proclivity to it but it's something we can culturate more a little bit more but uh it's hard these days with so many distractions yeah yeah Yeah. but i I think yeah i think to your point some people seem to be a little bit more um present to it others it might be a little bit of work which means you know we talk about the transcendentals of truth beauty and goodness and some people are drawn more to one over another 
although they're all sort of cut from the same cloth, they're all synonymous with God. But um, yeah, there are some souls that are more drawn to beauty, some more to truth, some to goodness. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah. But, I th- but I think we can all build our like work, fertilize our soul, like cultivate our souls to be ready for how He comes to us. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, yeah. What's so? What is um, what, what's what's something that uh, you are particularly? So, just a little bit more about you, and then we'll dive into the letter. Sure. What's something about you sure. that you're like particularly excited about right now? You know, like that you want to share with our audience. Yes. Um, gosh, I feel like everything I I'm, I'm uh, tasked to do at the institute is exciting. I get really excited about any manner of presentations or teachings or travel. But the latest and greatest thing is uh, I proposed a new course for the Institute, which is a five-day our, – our courses are five days long mm-hmm. and very immersive in theology of the body from some perspective, you know, Catholic sexual ethics or the philosophy of JP2 or the Song of Songs. I just proposed um, a new course that's coming out next November. It's the Sacramental Stories of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, so a five-day, yeah, and I think you're going to sign up, brother? <laughs> oh, my gosh, dude. It is a, I, I kind of want to. I, oh, yeah. man, you just hit. Hey, you, you got a year. Right? Oh. <laughs> well, we're yeah. talking about beauty. Talking about beauty, my, some of my first encounters with, with beauty was through reading Lord of the Rings as a teenager. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the yeah. works of C.S. Lewis. So, yeah, that's one thing for the Institute I'm super excited about is building out this five-day course to do a deep dive into their friendship, their faith, um, and just the way they, through a, a, a Christian imagination, sort of re-mythologized the world through Narnia, Middle Earth, and how it's touched millions of people throughout the world. Yeah. So I'm going to step into that sacramental imagination, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I didn't, even know, I didn't even know this, because I thought you were going to say something else about like your, your course on beauty. And you mentioned mm. that. So when is this again? When when do you say it is? Yeah, the way of beauty, the way of beauty, theology of the body and art course. I got to uh, build out and teach for the first time in 2015, and that's been ongoing. I, I just taught that in Madrid, Spain, this past summer. Such a uh, a gift to be able to open that up. But this, um, I proposed it last summer, and uh, I'm building it out now. I'm doing a lot of the research, and it'll be debuting November 5th of 2023. Which, uh, which, by the way, is the it's the 50th anniversary of Tolkien's death, which I didn't realize until after we, you know, I proposed the course. So that's kind oh, of that's neat. So cool. Yeah, wow. and of course, Tolkien. Um, it's Lewis and Tolkien, but Tolkien's trending big time with the the latest Amazon Rings of Power series. Yeah, but but he's always kind of trending, and C.S. Lewis is always trending. I mean, yeah, multiple languages, countries all over the world. People love it. I've traveled. I remember teaching in Chile, Santiago, Chile, to a, a, a group of priests and brothers, and I started referencing Lord of the Rings, and one of them held up his Lord of the Rings in Spanish. <laughs> it's everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, the, uh, that's the, the thing I'm really excited about now is prayerfully entering into building it. That's awesome. Yeah, I think next year that gives me enough time to plan for that. I, I think I will. Yeah. Like, that, that sounds amazing. Yeah. There you go. So. I'd love yeah. to have you. Shoot, man. Okay. So, so yeah, well, let's, let's go ahead and just get into it. Um, so why, um, so why do you, so I don't usually talk to people about the experience of beauty, right? I, you know, I'm not on a daily basis when I go to 
you know, Walmart <laughs> or something like that. Um, or even yeah. like, even really um, rarely amongst my close friends, even, you know, uh, sometimes mm. I do. Mm. Why do you think people don't talk about it that much? Um, do you think they don't experience it or, or, or what, you know? Um, this is a really good question. Very good question. I, I think the experience of beauty is, uh, it's a very intimate encounter um, because it's, it's also in the realm of the heart. I mean, when people are struck by something intellectually or they, you know, watch some amazing TED talk about, you know, thermonuclear dynamics, it's like, whoa, cool. And you could share that. It's yeah. intellectually fascinating. Like, this is a really cool thing I saw. Yeah. But there's something about the experience of beauty that sort of makes us really vulnerable and almost weep. And it seems to pierce, it gets under the radar of the intellect. And we're so like, wow, wow. Maybe it's, uh, <laughs> we're living in a culture, sadly, I, I mean, we're so over the top and sometimes over emotional, but we're actually afraid to open the heart a little bit, you know, to, to actually say, listen to this music that made me weep or man, the smell of a bonfire like destroys me or man, I was looking at this. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's almost like, um, it, it's almost like you, you have to have an, an intimate friendship already to draw someone into that mm-hmm. or have a sense of trust that you're going to get it. You know, I'm going to open up this secret door and tell you how I got moved. And um, I, I, I trust that I, you can come in and you're not going to sort of like mock it. Maybe that I'm just, you know, shooting from the hip. I think maybe that's yeah. part of it. It's just beauty is so intimate. And what it does, what it unveils in us is so, so to our core that uh, I think rightly we're sometimes a little guarded or maybe a little prudent about it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like something I, that should be veiled, you know, like this is a sacred thing. Yeah. You should just throw it out for the world. Um, yeah, but at the same time, let me qualify that. I think that we should. I think that we um, should sort of move beyond this sense of, uh, you know, I don't want to appear, I don't want to appear like weak or over emotional or vulnerable. I mean, good Lord, the Lord Jesus did that. <laughs> I'm looking at your uh, Sacred Heart of Jesus behind you on the wall there. Oh, next yeah. to that awesome sword, which is why Lord of the Rings really struck you. But back to Jesus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus is, he sort of leads the way and says, I'm allowing this, like the beauty of my love for you to pierce my heart. And I'm opening my heart. Like I'm showing you my heart. I think he's mm-hmm. leading us in the way of beauty to say, this is, especially wow. for dudes, like this is authentic masculinity to let yourself be pierced and be opened so I think I think it is a special encounter, but I think it's also we have to find a way to to say this is it. You know, Dostoevsky's uh, quote: "Beauty in the end will save the world." Yeah, we have to, we have to proclaim that because it makes us open and vulnerable, and then we're ready for communion and friendship and fellowship. We need it. Yeah, yeah. What do you think makes beauty? Because you know, I was I was I'm just I just finished. Uh, uh, not necessarily prepping for this, but it kind of prepped me for this. It's funny. I was reading a retreat uh, by John Ball II to artists, right? And it was called oh, God is Beauty. Yeah. Um, yes. Probably read it. Yeah, it's so good. We just published that book last uh, late last year. Yeah, That's, yeah. It was just first, that, that yeah, recent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, Christopher, I we heard just something about Christopher West, and and I was yeah. like, "What? This exists? Like, oh my gosh! <laughs> how have I not read this?" Yes, 
Yeah. I don't know if you have our book, yeah. but we got permission from the Vatican to translate it into English, and we added chapters. So I've got a chapter. Christopher West wrote a chapter. Uh, some other colleagues, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's it's a stunning piece of work that he delivered in 1962, I believe, yeah. to artists. Yeah, that's it for those for those oh, who product placement. Yeah, yeah. Check out our website at tobinstitute.org. There's your commercial. <laughs> but yeah, go back to your story. I'm so glad you've got that book. We we're so excited to put that out uh, last year. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was reading it, and you know, Jesus says specifically about tr- about truth. You know, I am I am the way, the truth, and life. I and then he yeah. says, you know, um, no one's good but God alone. So he speaks a lot about goodness, a lot about truth, but he doesn't speak a lot about beauty. Um, so what? So what do you what is what do you think is unique? But but John Paul II gets into it a little bit. But what do you think is unique about the experience of beauty in comparison to truth and goodness there? And he, yeah, I think um, yeah he does he does open it up a little bit more and, and reveals that we're kind of talking synonymously almost to that truth, beauty, goodness are these kind of three sisters. They're all bound together. They're all moving together. And yet, but um, I think I think the experience of beauty is so profound because we're embodied beings, right? We are flesh, blood, bone, spirit, mind, but the world comes to us through our senses. So um, beauty is like a more fully human encounter with God. We, we can encounter God in the, in the realm of truth, but that's sort of this intellectual thing um, or a meditative thing. But beauty comes through so often through like what I hear, what I see, what I taste, yeah. what I touch. And so I, I feel like beauty then becomes like incarnate in us and more easily mm. becomes a part of us. Right. Mm. We, uh, and that kind of consummation with the beautiful is feels to me like more complete, mm. right. More completely and being immersed in God because we can certainly get stuck in our intellect. In fact, when John Paul II was a young seminarian, he was 24 years old, and uh, Carol Wojtyla, he wrote a poem, and he talked to the Lord about, in the poem, he said, forgive my my thought, forgive my, forgive me, Lord, for being too mind-manacled, right? He was saying, I'm getting stuck in intellectualism, and he says, I want wonder to leap up in my heart, put a fire on my tongue, like, He's talking about beauty, really, the experience of beauty over the experience of my intellect being fascinated by truth. So, again, I think beauty is important because it's a fully human encounter, like, all the way. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm – was it Thomas Aquinas? He talks about how, like, like truth is the adherence of the mind to reality and to God. And so beauty is the – basically the entire person, right? Yeah. Because we're not just our mind. That's so, right. yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's what you're kind of saying. Reminds me of that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And the deeper knowledge, like when you talk about knowledge in our in our like Cartesian postmodern world, knowledge just seems to be like here. But yeah. biblically, biblically speaking, to know, like to know the Lord, is like a nuptial spousal thing. It's not like I know facts, like you know the square root of nine or. Like knowing the Lord, knowing the world, knowing myself is this intimacy, intimacy from a scriptural standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yes. That's why that. Yeah, um, that's why. So I think it's so necessary. Like this experience of beauty that we're we're not. I mean, why do you think a lot of people? 
But so 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 do, do, maybe maybe some people don't experience it. You know, um, do, mm-hmm. do you think there's there's a reason for that? Um, well, yes, I think um, yeah. Like I was saying earlier, we we can certainly prepare our hearts or cultivate ourselves to be more receptive to beauty uh, because. I mean, just mul- multiple distractions. I mean, beauty necessitates stillness, right? Beauty, to really receive beauty, we need stillness of the mind and body. We need receptivity. We need a sense of wonder and humility, uh, which all the saints and the mystics had. You know, that's why they were, like, constantly intoxicated by everything. <laughs> mm. The saints were, like, drunk on the beauty of creation, sacramental life, mm. all of it. Because they again humble, receptive, um, still. But look at our modern age, and we're all you know. I get swept into it with these you know darn devices. There is there isn't any more that stillness that there used to be. I mean, we're bombarded by you know these waves coming from our gadgets constantly, Wi-Fi everywhere, (laughs) cell phone towers everywhere, and it just creates this agitation where I. I sit down on a park bench, but the first thing I do is grab my phone because I don't want to sit in awkward silence, right? So I just grab my phone. Well, how can you be receptive to the bird song around you or a beautiful person walking by or any thought that comes welling up from your heart? If you're the second you have quiet, you like fill it with a, you know, I think that um, there's this great word I get. I've been really kind of chewing on the last few months. This, this word lacuna. Lacuna is the space between. Um, like in music, if there's, a, if there's a space, you know, there's a crescendo and there's a quiet, and then bam. Or, you know, it's the space. The lacuna is the quiet pregnant pause. And I feel like that's where we, um, if we dwell in the lacuna, if we can build it and like a space of silence, a culture of quiet, then, man, everything is going to start speaking. But if we a second an opportunity opens for a lacuna or for quiet, we just like fill it. We're just like run and run and run and and there's no place to purchase this, like the seed to take root. Mm, yeah, right? yeah. It's like it's like the gospel: the thorns and thistles grew, and the rocks and the, there's no. And yeah. I feel like where we are today. I again, I'm 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 not on, up on a soapbox right now. I struggle with it too, you know. <laughs> What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Is it is it a quiet thank you? Is it resting in the Father's love, or is it let me you know real quick check? My like phone. all the things that I need to do today, at least for me, yeah. sometimes like yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I struggle with it too, and yeah, I think that so in, in the story because uh, so the 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 letters, uh, yeah. the Raphael letters yeah. are slowly turning into a kind of story now, which it was sort of like that before, but now it's like, it's, it's getting really into it. So there's, there's some, some awesome. really heart wrenching things that, that have happened and mm. to Sarah. And so finally, like after a lot of these struggles have happened, mm. um, she's able to like go to this farm, right. in the letter that it talks yeah. about. And do you think that's where like, cause she's trying to kind of just get into a place of like, I just can't, I just can't do it. And like, I just have to like mm-hmm. get away, you know, and just, yeah. and, and her, her, her parents are able to welcome her back to her home, to her old home. And she's able to rest there. Do you think that's when a lot of people might experience beauty is when they finally just like, yes. kind of had enough, like, I'm just like, gosh, I just can't do this anymore. Like, yeah. 
Gabriel, when I read that, I thought, man, that's that's the perfect antidote. And that was an inspired moment for you, I think, to write that down because uh, we were placed in a garden in the beginning um, of our, you know, of humanity. We were placed in a garden that's intentional. Mm-hmm. We are of the earth, right? Adam, Adam is of the earth. And what have we been, where's all of our malady coming from, our apathy, our frenetic activism? It's flowing from the fact that we've disconnected ourselves from nature, from natural rhythms, from the flow of the seasons, from the weather of the day. Like we just, so the fact that Sarah's going back to be restored, she's going back to the earth and to the sky and to sun and rain. Man, that's, I really firmly believe that is a huge uh, path to recovery, Yeah, you know, because that's the way the Lord unfolded creation in the beginning and put us in it. It's it's a slow process. It takes time, right? It's watching the, the wheat grow and the flowers. You know, Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field. Uh, watch the birds of the air. He's not just giving like little poems, little Hallmark card, little kitschy sayings. <laughs> He's like, no, really, watch the wildflowers grow. Look at the birds of the sky. It's almost like a commandment because we're uh-huh. just like, no, he's like, no, stop. Watch how slowly I unveil with great solemnity my plan, my path for you. Look at this. Don't rush. Um, so the fact that Sarah is back there, she's going to get restored. She's going to um, get roots again. You yeah. know, and that's that's like uh, geographically rich and also the, the, uh, theologically rich, getting rooted again in reality. Yeah. Which, yeah. which is beautiful. Reality is beautiful. Yeah. God made it this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting, actually. I, I, I think I think a lot of people might consider, you know, it's like, well, you just need to be realistic, you know, you know, just need to be real about life and get back to and, the and, real and, world. And, 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 yeah, go back to the real world. It's it's, it's the opposite of of all, all of this that we're talking about. You know, it's it's the yeah. the place of just deprived of beauty. You know. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I just thought of that. Like, you know, isn't that ironic? Said, yeah, it's so ironic when people say like, you know, even you go on a retreat or you have some amazing spiritual insight, the Lord speaks to you and it's like, well, I got to get back. I, you know, I've got so much to do. I've got to get back to the real world and, you know, back to work. And yeah, like, wait a minute, this is you're leaving the real world. Yeah. And you're going into this construct that we've created and that we've put time limits on and schedules and read and we've created all that. Yeah. The real world is the eternal uh, which presses into time comes in, but I mean, this is the whole, this is the whole Martha Mary uh, paradigm, isn't it? It's like, you know, we're, we all have, I often say this, right? We all have Martha, Martha complex. We're all just like busy about many things and anxious about many things. When one thing is necessary, which is being, yeah. which is presence, which is attentiveness, yeah. you know, this whole habit of, of saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Saying that as a spirituality every day, that that's un- entering the way of beauty is to say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. What are you saying to me today in this autumn season, uh, in this mist of rain, in this like this person who needs me right now to listen to them, my child, you know, who's like in pain or wondering about something? Can I like put down my thing, whatever I'm doing and just, what's up? You know, speak. I'm listening. Mm-hmm. That child like, changes everything. I think, yeah. and again, it gives us the roots that we need to be human. It's a restoration of our humanity. Yeah, you know, 
I never thought about this. I mean, maybe I did a little bit, but yeah, just this connection then between like our contemplation of God and of and of beauty around us, like just just being able to sit with that and our ability then therefore to respond to others when they come to us. Cause then we're, we, then we're contemplating this person. We're, we're seeing, what do you have yeah, to like, yeah. cause we're, we're asking God, like, what do you have to say to me? You know? And then yeah. we go to this other person, like, what do you have to say? What, what is your heart crying out? Like that you want to, you know, exactly that you want to be heard and seen in, you know, and it takes, you're making me think uh, there's a story mother Teresa of Calcutta, her, uh, she was doing like two hours a day of adoration and contemplative prayer with her sisters. And the sisters were complaining to Mother Teresa saying, there's so much work to do. There are so many homeless and poor and sick coming to us, you know, but we're spending two hours a day praying. And, she, and they're like, Mother, help us. And she's like, okay, we're going to pray four hours a day. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> and her point was, you're 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 gonna you're gonna knock it down to half an hour a day. You're gonna make it like we'll just pray ten minutes a day because all the work. That's the Martha Martha complex, right? And then you're burned out. Yeah. But it's this it's the restorative prayer face to face with God that makes my active life, my apostolate, more fruitful. But we go the other way. We're like, no, I got to do more. It's like, no, you have to be more so that your activity is actually fruitful and not just you. Then it's self-reliance, and the world's going to fall apart if I don't. Actually, it's it's okay. God's in charge, but surrendering that, yeah, right, yeah, it's yeah so it, can hard. Be, uh, it can be easy to 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 have a pride, almost a God yeah. complex sometimes. Pride yeah. slides in, Messiah complex slides in, self-reliance. So yeah, this this posture of Mary before Jesus, like being and drinking in. Yeah. Uh, is really preparatory for all of life, all of relationships, all of conversations. We start listening more, and uh, that changes everything. Dr. Yeah. Jordan Peterson, I just watched a, pre, uh, a conversation with Dr. Jordan Peterson with somebody. Love that guy. And he was talking about this importance of listening. Like I, He says, I, I just want to be a better listener. And how powerful that is when people realize you're listening more than just chattering it's a game changer, I think. And I, and I do feel like it's part of this, like Sarah's journey and your story right now in the letters is now I'm going to learn how to be still and know that he is God, right? Psalm, Psalm 46, verse 10, be yeah. still and know that I am God. Yeah. So that means if I'm not still, I'm not going to know God. Yeah. 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 So, so that's, um, Sort of, kind of, you know, with this beautiful tangent, loving all this. This is so. So to go back to the letter, so so Sarah, she is contemplating that that yeah. moment, right? And so she's. Yeah. It's it's almost like I think the the analogy that Raphael uses is like the uh, you know the, the bubble, as it were, of like like heaven, like comes to earth, as it were. So like God comes to dwell there. So I mean, technically, God is everywhere, though, right? So how mm-hmm. how is um, how does God specifically come to, to right. dwell in that moment, you know, with, with her and yeah. in, in nature? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's one of the mysteries of how God communicates himself. I, I, I agree. Of course he's, you know, God is transcendent above nature. He created it. He's its author, but he's also imminent within his art, within the masterpiece that he's created. Uh, so there's a kind of omnipresence or of God, but there's also like he loves particular localities. You know, he I love that Luke, the Luke gospel passage where it's like uh, the angel Gabriel, you know, came to Mary 
of Nazareth in a town called, like, it's so specific. It just keeps going down the ladder of detail. Mm. Like, wow, this is a real historical, actual geographical place and time, mm. you know, boom. And God, God loves to do that to, you know, bring his universal into the particular. Mm. So it's just the way he designed the universe. He, he loves that. He loves all. And then he loves every, Yeah, and he can come into it. You know, I, there's a William Blake poem. Uh, I'm going to botch it because I don't remember every detail of it, but he's like, uh, um, to see uh, heaven in a wild flower and hold eternity in your hand. Or, it's like in a grain of sand, God is present. In one flower, God is present somehow. So just appreciating this significance of this thing, significance meaning sign. You know, if Sarah encounters this particular sunrise, it's the only time that one will ever come. If she experiences a certain kind of growth of a, of a wildflower in a field on a walk, that was specifically uniquely for her at that moment. Because mm. God is the author of it all. So I think God relishes that, you know, like a good father would for his kids, you know, like put little secrets out in the backyard, little scavenger hunts. Mm. He loves the particular. He loves to surprise us. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's something I've... Yeah, I've been wanting to discover more about God, actually, which is really beautiful. But how mm-hmm. how God is, how He wants, how He's pursuing us, you know, like He how He, he in those little ways He's um, He's wanting to speak to us, you know, like it's not it's not just He spoke two thousand years ago and it's like okay, just read the Bible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See my uh, see my work I've published. <laughs> Check out my book. But yeah, it's he is the Which eternal one? word. Yeah, the Bible. Like you're referencing. Oh, like this oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. But, yeah. Like he he is the logos. He is the word. Yeah. Right. Made flesh, and that word is the summation of everything. Like so, he's constantly speaking in everything. I feel like uh, I'm, I'm thinking right now Francis Thompson's epic poem, "The Hound of Heaven." Uh, if you've ever checked it out, it was a favorite of Bishop Fulton Sheen's, this beautiful poem by an English poet, uh, Francis Thompson. But he goes through all of creation, and the whole while the Lord is following him like this hound of heaven, active pursuit. Like, I, I'm, I'm coming to you to, through these experiences that you've had, and you thought I was distant, but I was actually in it. I was right there with you. So mm-hmm. be open and attentive to that. There's nothing, Pope Benedict once said, there's nothing trivial or insignificant about our lives. Mm. There is nothing trivial or insignificant about our lives because the Lord is in it all, and He can speak and whisper to us in all of it. I feel like that's such a comfort, mm. which is why beauty—you um, know—beauty isn't just like the Sistine Chapel or some, you know, concerto by Mozart or some like grandiose thing. It's uh, everything, everywhere, you know. And, and what particularly moves this person and that person is just as valid, you know. Uh, I think there's a gradation of power of, of beauty being manifested, but we we can't say anything's trivial or insignificant. You know, the things that we love that move us, I, I'm going to jump ahead to your Jacob's Ladder image. Yeah, sure, That's, go for it. I, I teach off that a lot, like this idea that yeah. is coming down to pull us up, and, and everything we can encounter can be a way up, you know, the ascending. Mm. Yeah, like all creation exists for that purpose of like that that ascending. Yes. Right. Yeah. So so what is so to 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 help our our listeners a little bit 
understand. So all all of creation is a way that we can encounter God and like God, we can encounter God through, through beauty, through that, through that experience yeah, yes. of beauty. What's the difference then between that and, and going to church? Like, you know, maybe we should all just become pantheists. Like what, you know, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. and just, no, no, I wouldn't say that. No heresy I, I, here. I, I know. I know. I, I'm, I'm, I know you obviously not, but it's a valid question, right? Cause it's yeah. like, well, you know, according to your logic, but no, there there is this, uh, and I just kind of referenced it, like this idea of a, of a gradation or a um, hierarchy here. Yeah. So we could talk about, we've been talking about like creation and from your letters, like Sarah's experience of the farm life and nature. Yeah. There is, there is a sacramentality of reality, mm-hmm. right? The sacramentality of reality means that, that God can speak through all things created, like yeah. a sacramental sign, like the invisible comes through the visible. Yeah, a sacramentality of reality, but into that God infuses also and builds out the sacraments. So the sacraments are like you know gazing at a forest with sunlight streaming through the leaves. The canopy is, is beautiful and can bring you to God. We see an attribute of God in the sun, in the rain. It's an attribute of God, sacramentality of reality, but. Then he draws you into an actual sacramental experience with his body and blood in the Eucharist. I mean, then it's just like, yeah. the church teaches that the Eucharist is the source and sum of uh, like our faith and of all yeah. evangelization. It's all right there. So he takes up, you know, crushed grapes and broken wheat formed into bread and into wine and then penetrates and permeates that material with the immaterial, with him. And so suddenly the sacramentality, the sign becomes like the literal presence, Mm. which is mind blowing that now, you know, so in light of that, the real presence of Christ in the sacraments, I'll take, I'll take Holy communion in the mass any day over like the Colorado Rockies or, you know, a beautiful sunrise over a lake. That's great. But, um, yeah, there's like uh, something hierarchy. more complete there because he's so you know. much more. Yeah. yeah, so much more that then um, is not just like inspiring in the beauties of creation, but efficacious, meaning, whoa, this is affecting change. This is life giving, literally. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, baptism, uh, reconciliation, the Eucharist. Yeah, these sacramental encounters are like this, you know. <laughs> an upgrade, so to speak, or just a, it's a quantum leap actually above it. Yeah. But how cool that the Lord keeps it consistent, that it's always this embodied encounter, nature, supernature in the sacraments, always in and through the body, mm-hmm. never just this disembodied mental thing, but in and through the body. I think that's the continuum right there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would imagine like the, you know, if the, the sacraments are kind of like up here, like it's, 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 implicitly like that towards which everything in the world is pointing towards you know so yeah. what all wa- like when we hear like the beauty like the beauty of water like streaming by like what, mm. what that's pointing us towards is 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 baptism it's it's um, yeah. it's the the water flowing from christ's side as it were like wine to to wash yeah. us over like all of creation is that like creates has this new like depth and meaning to it because it's oriented towards that. Yeah. I think you just yeah. beautifully, beautifully articulated that Gabriel, that 
again, source and summit. So I, I envision it sometimes like the tabernacle on the Eucharist or on the altar at the elevation. Here's the, here's the fountainhead. And yeah. then that life of God, that grace then trickles down the altar, like a waterfall, it just flows out and all the tributaries go out into everything. And so in a way, everything is touched by it. Which is literally in Revelations. Like Revelations, people think that's like about the yeah. end of time and sure, maybe to some degree, but like it's largely about the mass, you know, it's largely yeah. about the, the, uh, the, uh, a, an integrated worldview about creation and the world and, and the mass largely. And, and That's right. at the very end of it is like this, this tree and, and water flowing from, from the, the throne of the lamb, like flowing out into the mm. whole world. And it's, it's exactly what we're talking about. Like this is, it is, this is the, <laughs> it gets, tabernacle, you know, it gets even more intimate because we're talking about beauty as intimacy the last lines of all scripture, right, in Revelation is the spirit and the bride say, come, come, Lord Jesus, right? He's the bridegroom. We are the bride. And the whole Bible culminates in this, like, reunion. Yeah. I mean, that's when it's like, for me, Gabriel, for me, it's like the greatest romance ever. This divine romance and, and everything then becomes a love letter from God. Carol Houselander says this, right? Like, every little thing comes down like a love letter from God to draw us to the wedding feast of the lamb, to draw us to this banquet where we literally become one with the beauty that we see, right? Which you only can comprehend being one with God by this spousal marital imagery, which the Bible's dripping with. So the encounter with, with the beautiful is our portal into beauty himself where the two shall become one. And that's Jesus's great prayer. I pray, Father, they may be one as we are one. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I want to go make a holy hour right now, Gabriel. (laughs) Do you know, that's funny you say that. Like, speaking of, like, I was actually contemplating whether or not to share this, so I kind of want to now. It's like, you know, to speak about the different, I've had some beautiful experiences about beauty um, Mm -hmm. and some, some really wonderful moments. And comparatively in prayer, like, some of the moments that I've had is, like, just mind-blowingly amazing like one one was i was just uh, i was it was actually the culture project we were just it was one of the most amazing holy hours i've ever had because we were all like worshiping uh our lord in the eucharist together just one mind Mm. one heart um and just Mm. yeah it, it just felt very comfortable it just felt very um it felt at home like i was home there yeah and beautiful what what was crazy is like we were you know praying over one another a little bit and and then at the end uh it, it just felt like timeless like like time it felt like stopped and but if someone were to ask you know how long do you think this this was I would be like hey. so it was probably a while but I would say maybe like two hours something like that it was like six hours long uh, <laughs> like I like completely, wow. I like completely lost track of the time. I was like, "How is that? Even, how do we lose track of four hours? Like, what, what the heck?" And it, it just felt like this is what this is what it's about. Yes, yes, yes. you know. And, and you know, I don't expect uh, to receive that every single time. Like that was a unique gift. No, that's a gift, brother. Praise God for that gift. That is a uh, we would call it a signal grace, a signal yeah. grace, a unique gift of consolation that you can't create or fabricate on your own it's a gift yeah that came and it, it's like a 
for me, moments like that I've had in my life become like these wellsprings that I can return to and say, man, and I, you know, just as you're saying that moment, I go back to an experience, I think it was March maybe of 1996, and I was on a seven-day silent retreat, Mm -hmm. and I got hit with something like that where I was not, I was present, I was on this retreat, but I was somewhere, like it was, you know, the whole, he must increase, I must decrease. And I felt like he overwhelmed me beautifully. And I didn't have to worry. I let go of anxiety, fear, that timelessness came in. And uh, it's just, you, you find yourself just resting in him and it can't be measured. It's like the eternal. Now you've entered the eternal now, which is heaven essentially and communion. That's a, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. 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 So, um, so how, I guess, how, how do we, how do we taste? So one question I had was like, how, how do we taste the waters of eternity like that? You know, like, mm-hmm. or whether the Eucharist or, or in nature, um, how do we do that through beauty? Um, cause I, I feel like it's not I feel like some people are like, oh, yeah, I would love that. But I also feel like it's not really in our control, but I feel, you know what I mean? But yeah, I think you you might mention this a little bit, like because there's yeah, no, let's, space. Yeah, know? we've touched on it. We've touched on it. Let's let's build build it out a little bit more. Yeah, it's it's both end, right? It's always both end. We can do preparatory work, you know. We can cultivate the fields a little bit of our interior life, but it's God who sows the seed, right? It's God who pours out the gift and the grace. So we we can certainly move towards it. So we talked about the idea of like a culture of quiet or of silence trying to be less frenetic, uh, less filling up every lacuna and space of time with something to do. So yeah. by building that culture of quiet, you're going, it's, it's also known, it's trending actually, it's mindfulness. Like mindfulness is actually an ancient practice that it's essentially prayerfulness and attentiveness. Uh, so by practicing that of just being rooted where we are, we, Oswald Chambers once said, get into the habit of saying, speak, Lord, and life becomes a romance, right? Get into the habit of saying, speak, Lord, and life becomes a romance. So by being silent, we say, you speak, and then I I, I am making myself more receptive. So that's, that's the most important thing, I believe, is that stillness, right? Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that he is God. The second point, I think, is an active, right? So that's receptive. This is active. Uh Fill your home and your space, even where you work, with beauty. Um, great art, icons. Uh, maybe it's a coffee table book with, like, gorgeous pictures of uh, Yosemite National Park or, the you know, Glacier National Park. Maybe it's um, a reproduction of some great Impressionist painting by Van Gogh or Monet, and you put it in a place of prominence, right? It's not it's, – it, it's good, beautiful art. And you put that around you and you start to acclimate to that beauty. Mm-hmm. I just read this in Dr. Jordan Peterson's new book, uh, 12 More Rules for Life. He said, go buy great art, put it in your house and watch what happens. <laughs> he said, you're going to get, you're going to get something beautiful and you're, you're maybe the disorder around you and inside you is going to now want to match the order and harmony you see in the great art. So it's going to wow. start changing you, you know? Yeah. So, so clean up the clutter, uh, take care of things, have a sense of personal dignity. Um, you know, 
I, I try to make my workspace here uh, beautiful. You know, I have candles, I have a crucifix, I have great art. I have a beautiful um, image of St. John Paul II on this wall. You can't see walking through the mountains. I'm mindful of the lighting. I like to use natural light as much as I can. Uh, and just entering into that. So re- being receptive to everything and then being active in building a culture of beauty around you. And everybody's got different styles, you know, the way you lay out your living space or workspace. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, be intentional. Don't just be functional, right? Don't don't just be utilitarian. Uh, yeah. Uh, don't yeah. just be functional. You're a human being. Make it beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm immediately. So one thing I recently did, so this is kind of the new change that I, that I recently made. It was because I, there used to be a TV right right here, you know. And I have one in the front room. Like, I was like, you know, why do I need one right here? Like, why why do I have to have my life centered around this thing? And, and so I I decided to Mm. change things up and and to allow myself to, you know, contemplate things like, you know, like, like, you know, I like like the image of a sword and like, you know, what that, you know, fighting and, and, you know, fighting for, for Christ as it were. Right. Right. Um, Courage, bravery, valor. That's a good move, Gabriel. That's a really good move because, uh, the screen, yeah, I mean, the screens, the TVs and the screens have become like tabernacles in the, in the home yeah. where we just like all of our attention goes there. And it's like, that's not good. Uh, you know, they say you can, you behold, you become what you behold, right? You are what you eat and then you become what you behold. Yeah. If we're, if we're looking at screens or TVs and, and or smartphones. It's like you lose yourself. So I think we have to flip that and be intentional about our space. And what occupies that space? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I realized something a long time ago, and I, I haven't been following my own, or not my own, God's mm-hmm. wisdom that he poured, poured into my soul a, a long time ago mm-hmm. was with regard to one of the Beatitudes. It was, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And and yeah. I think it's the only one that you can, like, kind of reverse, and it's also true. Like, blessed are those who see God, for they shall be pure in heart. Ooh, I like that. I think, I think that's, yeah, you know? that works. And, and, yeah. and so when we see, when we contemplate God in beauty or certainly in the Eucharist, I feel like, yeah, yeah our, we're orienting ourselves and, and we're simplifying. Like this is, purity is, is, is about, well, being like si- more simple than we're making yes. our own lives to be. Like we're, our lives are so complicated and so, and so our hearts become complicated, but when it becomes mm. super simple become more pure you know it's not like oh there's so complicated no it's not well, only one thing is necessary right um, yeah yeah oh that's yeah. good that's solid yeah it's the uh it's also like single-heartedness you know it's the, it's devotion and single-heartedness and purity which is yeah purity and you from your work with culture project you i'm sure you preach this all the time right purity of heart doesn't mean I, like i'm not looking at anything <laughs> or chastity right it's like i'm not looking chastity and purity actually means i'm seeing more i'm seeing like with purity and a pure gaze i'm seeing in a rarefied clarified way more than so that's that's what i think blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see god means is that you you everything else falls away all the clutter that we put on and we see yeah what we see is more yeah it's more yeah it's that so it is more but yeah it's that it's that also like Yes, that simple contemplation of it, you know? Um, right. Yeah, yeah. 
So in, in those moments you mentioned before, you talked about, you know, in, in the letter, um, which uh, it, it talks about how in those moments where, you know, the, the bubble of eternity, as it were, is, is reaching Earth in that moment. Mm-hmm. And angels are ascending and descending upon those moments, right? Um, what, so, you know, do you think angels are drawn to those experiences? And, you know, what does mm-hmm. that, that, that mean for them to ascend and descend upon beauty? Well, uh, here comes the fun stuff, getting into the mind of an angel. I don't know <laughs> if I have the capacity, but I'll try. So yeah. I, sure. yeah, I think about this as I teach theology of the body, which, again, theology of the body is humanity 101. It's like what it means to be human in, in embodied reality. Angels are not embodied. So I do feel they must be fascinated by our human experiences. They've got to be fascinated by the sacramentality of reality. So, yeah, to answer your question, I think, yeah, they must be drawn to these things, these moments where, um, you know, an autumn leaf blowing in the wind or a child's little giggle or the taste of good coffee, like that we can be so like, wow, man, like we can love little seemingly trivial experiences like that. You know, um, that, that we can, as human beings, we have these embodied taste and see moments. I'm sure the angels are kind of like, wow, and go right to it because they see how the Lord works. They get to see how their father crafts these amazing encounters. You know, they must be blown away by it. You know, they, I don't know if they're capable of jealousy, but um, like a holy jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's, I think there's say a like, couple saints who wow, talk here's, about angels being jealous of certain. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. St. John Vianney, maybe, yeah, about the Eucharist. But, um, yeah. yeah, that there's this nexus between the, the, the spiritual world and the physical world, which is exactly where we abide, like, as a human being. That's where we are, right at that nexus. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it's swirling with, uh, well, angels and demons. Because we know the demons can try to take the, the tangible and touchable and make it into the idol. So the very thing God made to lift us, they will try to twist and pull us down. Yeah. So what an amazing adventure. I mean, anything but boring, this this life, this human life is a yeah. one adventure. Yeah, and that's that's something that, yeah, I mean, yeah, like demons are kind of, yeah, attracted to those other, like, yeah, like a, like a place of anti-worship, as it were, right? Yeah. Um, and this is, right. um, yeah, yeah, and they're, yeah, there, there's certain kinds of demons are like stirring up those kind of things, and yeah, yeah. I don't know. wanting us to wanting us to pull pull away from spirit and only abide in body, uh, and I think it's safe to say, like, and this, you know, to fight sort of dualism or manichaeism, the angels aren't trying to disembody us and take us into the spirit. Those are both heretical, right? The angels can see how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And how it's in and through the body that will be taken up in a glorified body. So God and the spiritual realm, they don't discount the flesh or matter. That's heretical, right? That's Manichaeism or dualism. They realize like, wow, all this is taken up, subsumed and taken up. Yeah. Does that make sense? That, that's deep waters right there, Gabriel. It's deep waters. But it's like, yeah, you know, this is this is the Genesis affirmation. Behold, it is good. Okay, when he makes the world, the mountains, the seas, the trees, behold, it is good. Not behold, it is tempting or behold, it is evil. Behold, it is good. Why? Because if I see it rightly, it's going to lift me up to God. 
It'll be the Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. So, um, so do you think beauty is an experience of worship? And like, how how so? Like, what you know? What's what's the difference between? Yeah, I mean, we kind of mentioned this a little bit, but like, yeah. you know, what specifically is the difference? No, between... following it through, p- picking yeah. picking up on it. We're we're still in the uh, we're slipstreaming here because yeah. it's like. Keep keep it going. What is it all doing? It's lifting. When it's infused with the Spirit and the presence of God, all creation is is this chorus, like rising up, rising up, rising up. So really, the mystic and the saint rides this torrent of beauty, right? They they ride this wave of beauty, which then breaks like on eternal shores, right? It's breaking on eternal shores. It's taking me all the way. So it is an aid in worship. Um, a beautiful cathedral, a beautiful choir, um, these aid in worship because, I mean, think of the, the verticality of a Gothic cathedral, right? You walk in and you're like, whoa, it's instantly escalating you up. Mm. So so beauty leads to worship, absolutely. And the flip side of that is ugly churches. I mean, I've seen some ugly churches yeah, in my life. <laughs> yeah. what, what do they do? They they befuddle my worship. They distract me. I'm like, oh, you know, I've gone into Catholic churches where like, I can't find the tabernacle. I'm like, they've taken my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. You know, I can't find <laughs> and so my worship, my worship is like stunted. Yeah. As opposed to going into a beautiful church where it becomes, it's, it's symmetrical, harmonious, and there's a verticality. And I'm just like, I can just sit here. I don't have to do like just being in this presence, mm. in this place, this yeah. beauty is le- is is leading me to worship. Yeah, my yeah. sacred art and sacred architecture are essential today, like for evangelization, which yeah. we always do centuries ago. But now we're like, man, eh, you know, let's just try this, and it's like that's disgusting. That's eh, all right. The bishop blessed it. It's a church. No, it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's taking us away from worship. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, so why do you think, why do you think beauty, so I, why do you think it hurts? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, well, mm, it does hurt for sure. Uh, in a good way, it's a um, piercing experience i mean we what do we do when we encounter beauty we groan we like emote we uh you know yeah Uh, i i think probably because it's sort of this reminder that this isn't it this is not it (laughs) beauty is like a harbinger or beauty is a um sort of a trumpet blast that says there's another world and so it tears the veil and pierces us and it hurts because we're like I'm not there yet. Yeah, is that longing? So, that, yeah, so yeah. which which is it's kind of funny because it's like I actually love that piercing. I love the longing. Yeah, it, it hurts. Well, there's a John Cougar Mellencamp song, "Hurt So Good," back in the '80s. I love that song. So like, beauty hurts so good. Yeah, which sounds crazy. It sounds crazy, but um, allowing yourself to be wounded by beauty is this reminder that this isn't it. Uh, yeah. One of the sad things, and you talked about, like, you know, why don't people experience beauty, maybe, or why aren't we as receptive to beauty? Maybe yeah. it's because it hurts. So I don't want to feel the longing. Uh-huh. I don't want to recognize that I'm empty inside. 
So I'm just going to fill it real quick with a lot of stuff and activity yeah. or numb myself so I don't, because I don't want to feel that big Grand Canyon size ache. Yeah. But the saints and mystics are like, bring it on. I Because the more I open my ache, the more God can fill me with himself. Yeah. So get ready. I mean, anybody listening in, right, to your uh, episode here, uh, if you're going to walk in this way of beauty, it's going to be, um, <laughs> it's going to hurt. It's going to yeah. be a tremendous, tremendous ache, but simultaneously you will long for it more, all the more. Yeah, it's like a pain that you'd, like I would pay for, you know, like I would pay yeah. everything yeah. for, you know. Right. Yeah. Because so it reminds you from whence you came and where you're going, which is awesome, which is eternal love. So, yeah. Yeah. Sense that it would yeah. Yeah. So, so why, why is the mass sometimes difficult for people then? You know, if this is this, this grand moment, um, the mass. The past, yeah. Like so, sometimes, you know, sometimes difficult for me. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Why, why, why can't it be uh, an experience? Lot- why can't it always be an experience of beauty? You know? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of factors that I think Gabriel, because there's, you know, the mass is kind of this amalgamation of the human and the divine. It's divinely okay. instituted by Christ and handed on to his apostles to hand on. So it's gone, it's, it's, it's moved through the succession, apostolic succession through the priesthood. So we're, you know, and the liturgies kind of have changed a little over the ages, but we're faithful to the words of Christ. So there can be masses where, you know, the music stinks or the homily was terrible. Um, or there were just all these distractions, or the church architecture is hideous. So, so those things can sort of be stumbling blocks to people, right? I think in those situations, when it's unavoidable, um, we have to remember the divine, right? Okay, so like, okay, humanly speaking, right now, you know, the cantor is really off key, and ouch, this hurts. But divinely speaking, I'm in the mass, like the most beautiful thing this side of heaven, like the Lord's going to be present. So. Mm. So always, always that's our anchor is that this is a divinely instituted gift where Christ is present. If hopefully, of course, the priest is faithful to the rubrics of the mass and to the consecration. But so I think be mindful of that. And then, you know, the thing is, too, like the human side, push a little bit. You know, if if your experience of liturgy is is really distracting and difficult because it's not being done well, you know, I would say shop around. I mean, maybe that sounds kind of funny, but go to a place where liturgy is reverent, liturgy is thought out, liturgy is not about the priest's cult of personality, but it's about Christ. And I can think of right now a church nearby where um, you experience that. The liturgy is faithful, beautiful, humble. The church was restored in a beautiful way, mm. and uh, it's not a distraction, mm. but, um, it, but, yeah. but an attraction. An attraction, not a distraction. So that's something personal and subjective people have to figure out. Like, you know, what's your experience of the mass? Yeah. Uh, third, point, third point on that, I think, Gabriel, is if you're in a place where people are like, yeah, I, I get bored at mass, or I just get so distracted, or I just, I don't like this or that. Certain things, if you can sort of change or encourage change and more faithfulness to the liturgy, great. But do some spiritual reading about what the mass actually is. And the more spiritual reading we do from the saints or we read the catechism about the liturgy and the mass and Eucharist, then you're coming to mass like, wow, I know what this is. I've read my scripture. I've read the catechism. Yeah. Maybe even a church document about the, about the liturgy. 
And then you can like, wow, it's happening. And I don't mind so much the the lousy singing or the distractions. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. in your mind, the mystery is unveiling and you're like, That's this, right. is, this is what's going on. This is, wow, yeah. man. Like I, yeah, yeah. There's, um, so there's a few things. And one final thought is, sure. I would say be careful too. And I'm, I'm in this as well, right? Be careful of spiritual pride where, you know, do you know what I mean? Like spiritual tribes, pride saying something like you're doing it wrong or it could be so much better. And then we kind of get a little snooty about the liturgy. Yeah, like, oh, my gosh, this person. Yeah, this girl, and we oh sort of, yeah, we sort of shut it all down. Uh, yeah. Come in all humility. Come in all humility. What 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 things might be able to be changed? Uh, maybe you can work on that. Maybe you can get on, you know, help with that. Or you find a different place where it's not a distraction but um just humility right i'm in that too i mean i can't tell you how many homilies i've heard in my life that actually really moved me and so sometimes as a as a teacher and a theologian who who um has been privileged to come to know the content of the faith sometimes Mm -hmm. i'm like man i would have said this about the gospel and i'm like okay let me stop (laughs) because i can slip into spiritual pride like give me that microphone yeah you could have said this you could have said this You could have that. referenced John Paul II's letter to the whatever. And it's like, okay, humility, yeah, I've, humility, humility. I struggle with that too. I'm just like, <laughs> wait, wait, okay. You know what? Maybe you need to be hearing this part of it. Maybe you need to like stop your, yes. you know. Yes. Stop, That's like, the spiritual the deflate and just, yeah. 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 Well, we got that out, Gabriel. We both need to get that off our chest. I know, I know. So, uh, so one of the last, you know, uh, last couple of questions, but like, sure. I think what, what does the experience of beauty reveal about the living God? Um, cause that was mentioned a little bit, right. That, that, you know, <laughs> this, you're encountering the living God. Yeah. Um, yeah. First thing I think of, I love your questions. Um, first thing I think of is, and this has been my personal experience is, uh, just how wild he is, how wildly imaginative god is i mean when i when i teach i bring in you know uh the panther chameleon of madagascar the ring-tailed lemur you know the uh, the wild insane things in creation that god made mm-hmm. right that we discover and we're still discovering in the rainforests of brazil like we're finding stuff so for me this experience of beauty reveals like this living god he's living he's he's ever present and he's wild like his imagination is wild you can say that so you can bring i try to encourage my students you know look look at these images i'll share a nature video or some image or something and say the god who resides in the blessed sacrament of the tabernacle made this thing so like somehow bring this into your holy hour bring this into your prayer time you know imagine this wild creative spontaneous god who uh, is just not boring at all. I mean, he again, he's wild. Yeah. And see how that changes your spiritual life and your vision of who he is. I, I love that so much. I'm, I'm immediately thinking of C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia, where I'm talking about Aslan, and, yeah. and it's like, well, is he tame? It's like, no, no, he's not tame at all. He's, <laughs> he's good, you know? Yeah, that's good. He's, yeah. But he's good. He's good. And, yeah. and that's, we, I think we try to 
to tame Jesus, as it were, in some of the paintings or some of, or, or just in our, our perspective of him. He was a really nice guy who taught these really beautiful things. And, and it's like, he also had a whip and he also, but like, it, and he, he was not, he, he, he was wild, you know, like in, in certain ways, you know, he, he was, yeah. but, but also like, so Jesus showed that in his person, you know, in being very bold and authority, like mm-hmm. going his authority, but also like, yeah, God shows us that in the world. Like, I never thought about that. Like, that God is wild. Like, yeah. I, I never thought about it. Like, in the experience of beauty, like that. Yeah, that He's wild. That, Let I, me I uh, appreciate that. If, oh, if, okay. if I could drop a drop a little book here, it's a very small book by Dr. Peter Kraft, and I know you love Dr. Peter Kraft. Yeah, I'm sure you, I'm sure you know him. He wrote a book called uh, Jesus Shock. So, yeah. and it's the craziest book. It's like a little book and it's got like this bright, hot pink cover with a, I think there's a surfer on it. It's, it's like, is this Dr. Kraft? But in that book, he yeah. talks about this whole point of the wildness of God. And he says, think about it. Like in the gospels, the word most described uh, about experiences of encountering Jesus in the gospels is the Greek word thauma, which means like wonderstruck. Uh, gobsmacked, like, whoa. He says people either wanted to worship him or kill him. There was yeah. no neutral. There was no, like, oh, there's Jesus. Uh, what else is on? Yeah. It's like he was so enigmatic, yeah. fascinating, wild. He wanted to worship him or kill him. And that was the two people, the two camps of people, right? The followers, the faithful, and those who wanted to just, like, get him out. He's yeah. messing everything up. He's taking control of, you know, he's messing up our our schemes, the Pharisees. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the wild god. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that that's definitely a bit of wisdom. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have to keep that book in mind for sure. The wild yeah, god. Jesus shock by Doctor Kraft. Yeah. Or, or, or Jesus shock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, yeah, that that idea of of God being wild is like I'm literally going to probably go pray about that um, later <laughs> today. <laughs> that, that's too. beautiful. Um, so yeah, um, okay. I think um, yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably an, enough time, and, and you know, we certainly covered sure. the, the covered the letter. Um, but I want to see. Do you have any any wisdom for people? I know you mentioned a couple things. You know, silence and um, uh, and and you mentioned a couple other things. But you know, is there anything yeah. bit of wisdom you want to leave for our audience? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for asking that, and I hope I, I hope I have some to offer. <laughs> I think, um, I guess just just to anyone tuning in, trying to be intentional. I mean, I I know we're all busy these days and distracted, but I think that can often be a cop out. Uh, we can do it. We can reclaim time. Right, we're gifted with time. Mm-hmm. We can be the master of it. So be intentional. This experience of beauty. This building out of a culture of quiet and receptivity to everything God gifts us with. Be intentional. Carve out time. I don't know if you're an early morning person or you're a night owl. Find a space in your day where you can say, you know what? I'm just going to waste this 25 minutes, half hour, hour, and I'm just going to be present. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm going to listen to really good music or I'm just going to take a quiet walk outside. Or maybe I'm going to create something um, mm-hmm. if you have that capacity, you know. And don't think like, oh, you know, I should be doing something else. I have so much to do. Mm, yeah. No, you don't. Not really. So be intentional about wasting time with God because it'll be restorative to your soul and it'll make you 
more fruitful, right? Not just productive or successful, but more fruitful than you ever thought. So yeah. there's a, there's a, that's awesome. Honestly, I, I love the way you said that wasting time on God. Cause, cause that's, yeah. I think somewhere down below, like we're, we're telling ourselves like, you know, I can't waste time. Like, no, just, you know, I can't, I can't lose, just waste it on him. Like, just, yeah. you know, like it's like you got money or something like that, you know, like waste the money, you know, it's like, like when you're in love with someone, you know, like you're just, you know what? I love you. I just want to like waste this money on you. Cause like you're worth it. That's a perfect image, Gabriel. That's perfect. That's the way to think of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much, Bill, um, for that, all that was in your game uh, that you, that you shared today. And uh, yeah, I certainly appreciate it. I, I think our audience will too. And uh, yeah, yeah. Let's, um, let's close in a, in a prayer. And uh, yeah. So and the father, son, and the Holy spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of beauty. I thank you so much for the gift of, of, of Bill and, and helping us to uh, dive into this more. Um, for um, for angels who, who kind of lead us to these experiences and and, and accompany us in them. Thank you just for yourself, how you reveal yourself to us, how you long to, how you're a wild God who is pursuing us. Um, you are wildly pursuing us. And and you just, you want us to say yes. You're always receptive of, you're always patient and waiting for our yes. So... Yeah, please help us enter into that. Uh, help us to create space to, to waste on you, waste our love for you. Um, and we ask for our guardian angels' intercession um, to to lead us to these places of beauty. Um, as we we pray, oh God, who you're un- in your unfathomable providence, are pleased to send your holy angels to guard us. Hear our supplication as we cry to you that we may always be defended by their protection and rejoice eternally in their company through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side. Light to guard, to rule, and to guide. Amen.